You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to this week's show. And this is a very special show this week. I am humbled, I have to say, to have a giant of the tech industry as my guest. Uh, an alumni of Hewlett-Packard, a major figure at Apple during the John Scully years, the founder of BOS, ex-chairman of Palm, and now a well-known industry watcher and commentator, and a regular contributor to the Monday Note. I am, of course, talking about the revered and renowned Jean-Louis Gasset. Hello, Jean-Louis. Hello, hello. Good afternoon. Well, uh, first of all, thank you so very, very much for agreeing to come on my little show and talk to me. Um, some, I'm, I'm sure most people who listen to this podcast know who you are, but um, just in, ca- in case they don't, um, obviously you were a well-known figure uh, at Apple in the John Scully years. I mean, I know you were there before Steve uh, was ousted, and I know um, you left before he came back because, of course, uh, we'll get into that because you were chair yeah. of the of BOS. Um, so that's something yes. else we can talk about later. But uh, tell us, um, tell the listeners, Jean-Louis, how, how you ended up at Apple in the first place. Well, when I joined HP in 1968, HP France, I uh, I was uh, recruited to launch the, a, uh, a precursor of a personal computer. And I got the bug of uh, technology very early in my life. And then I got the bug of America. <laughs> I, decide, I decided I wanted to, uh, to work in, in the U.S., it took me a while, but then I joined HP, um, Apple France in uh, late 1980, uh, uh, a little more than 40 years ago. And I started Apple France. Uh, things worked well. And I was called uh, to Cupertino, finally realized my life. And I was put in charge of uh, product uh, development uh, at Apple in May of 85. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty stellar rise, Jean-Louis. To, uh, I, I, I know, obviously, um, 1980, I was just leaving school. I just completed my uh, A-levels. So um, Yes, yes. But, um, you know, when, when you read um, stories of the kind of late 70s and the early 80s in Silicon Valley, it, it seems... Um, it seems now, looking back, like it was um, a surprisingly small um, environment, oh, yeah. and a lot of oh, people, yeah. you know, a lot of people um, who went on to become huge in the fields just happened to be, you know, know the right people or be in the right place at the right time. Like anything, you know, which is up and coming. If you're in the, you know, it's yeah. a lot easier to become big as Henry Ford than it is to start a car company now. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, well, that was because I 
I know, um, and I've got a couple of things down here I wanted. I mean, you are um, head of the Macintosh development, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. After, um, after the Mac was launched, I think. Um, and you are well known, uh, at least to people of, you know, a certain age like me, for being the uh, the guy who presented many um, Mac launches um, and, of course, famously assembled uh, Macintoshes on on stage. Yeah, that was fun. That was yeah. fun. Um, and I, got... rec I recently uh, looked again at uh, the uh, introduction of the portable Mac in, uh, I think, September 89. And uh, that, that was a fun event. Yes, I uh, I just watched that, actually. I've got links in the show notes uh, for the viewers. So um, I've got a link to YouTube of Jean-Louis assembling the Macintosh Portable, which was the, uh, you know, uh, very famous uh, portable, the luggable. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, with a, lead acid, with a lead acid battery in it, it's not going to be locked. <laughs> I have yes, to say, yes. I always wanted one of those. So I always wanted one. And I, I many, many years later, I saw one. Um, for sale in an auction, and I, I nearly bid on it, but um, because I wasn't sure if it was working or not, I decided not to. But uh, I, at the time, I very, very much wanted one of those, um, and now I'd quite like one as a piece of Apple history, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, um, you also, uh, well, you you launched the uh, the SE, I believe, on stage. You yeah, my, one of those. Those they're not quite sure, so easy. Sure, the, the, <laughs> my, my my mission when I came to to Apple in Cupertino was to take the Mac out of the ditch, so to mm. speak, uh, because uh, the product came I came up with uh, very high expectations, uh, but uh, sales did meet the uh, the expectations, and this uh, this led to to Steve. Uh, leaving, uh, leaving the company. And, um, so the first product we did was a quick, uh, turn, uh, giving the, the Mac a hard disk access, uh, which was uh, sorely uh, missing. Mm. And then I put a license plate on my car that's, that read open Mac. It meant to have a Mac that would have a bus and slots. So you could put additional functionality with interface cards and uh, that open mac uh, called the mac 2 was introduced in march of uh, 1987 and with along with the mac se which was a conventional mac with an internal hard disk and and i i have to confess a, a noisy fan uh, which which people uh, criticized uh, us uh, rightly uh, for so that that was uh, that's how the the mac finally uh, came out of the ditch so to speak because the two versions the conventional one and the open version provided a range of uh, solutions uh, for customers that uh, that uh, gave it a, a nice life in the marketplace yeah i mean i I remember the SE, um, basically the first, the first Macintosh that, uh, that I worked on was in fact the 2CX, which is of course yeah, the, uh, yeah. the, the compact, the one which yeah. you assembled on stage. And, uh, as it happens, um, I don't think I had the portrait, the, the portrait display initially, but, yeah. um, 
the company we bought a portrait the the mono portrait display um yep. go with it which i had for several years um actually the 2cx was my kind of daily driver for a very long time um because when we replaced the 2cx uh at work um my boss let me take it home and uh, yep. i continued to use it for many years um until uh i replaced that with the two fx which i got somewhere and i think somebody actually gave to me which uh made me very very happy because uh, at its launch the two fx was a stunningly eye-wateringly expensive computer yeah um, i yep. think it was about nine thousand pounds at the time in the uk yeah. which was um a vast sum of money so, yeah, it yeah. was it was it was expensive. Certainly, certainly in those days. Um, but they were all very, very good. I had actually, in the end, our company. I think we must have had half a dozen two CXs. Um, brilliant machine. The fact that it was so modular and uh, easy. You know, you just pop the lid off like a biscuit tin. Yeah, and uh, you know, such had great innovations like the power supply simply plugged in, no horrible ugly wires all over the shop. Um. So, you know, it was a, a wonderful machine, and I had one several for many, many years. Um, so there we go. Um, yes, um, and I've got two links. I've got the building the 2FX, uh, the 2CX, sorry, and building the um, Mac portable on on the stage, which was, yeah. that was the one where you came on and said, you came on with the carry case, didn't you, and said, yeah, um, I yeah. brought some, I brought something to help me with my demonstration, and everybody expected you to bring out the Mac portable from the case and you brought out a glass of water <laughs> always always uh made me laugh that one we always did um so i mean did you um did you work much with or, or have much interaction with steve jobs before he left john louis or well i kind of i saw uh, yes yes i saw him uh often when i was running apple friends uh, mm. which 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 lasted about about uh, five years and we had lots of uh, of uh, conversations and walking around the the, the streets of uh, of uh, of paris and i formed at the time the opinion that i should never work for for steve jobs because uh, i didn't have uh, what it took to uh, uh, put up with uh, steve's um, uh, sometimes uh, interesting uh, manner. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that's that's a very polite way of putting it. I think most people who um, knew Steve, you know, in the earlier phase of his career, could. Uh, I think somebody once politely described it as he could be a right asshole. <laughs> well, um, I, I'll, 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 uh, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't pile up, uh, you know. But he was. No. Uh, he, uh, he, he, part of the problem was uh, was me also uh, is uh, that I, uh, I, uh, I I didn't have the inner calm that I later uh, acquired, and uh, that that made me unfit to to work for for Steve. I um, I. Sp- Spoke at great length with people who worked for him in the uh, I would call uh, Apple One point yes. oh, yeah. uh, time, and I also spoke at great length with people who uh, worked with Steve at uh, the Apple Two point oh uh, period when Steve came back uh, 
retook control of the company he co-founded and proceeded with the most stunning, stunning turnaround that, that the industry has uh, has ever known. And um, in that second period, uh, he was more, uh, uh, let's say, balanced. Uh, yeah. He, but, but also with age, shall we say? Yeah, but he, he also had acquired. You know, the fact that he got fired from Apple uh, helped him yes. because because it it shook him, and then he proceeded to do Pixar. If all you do in your life is Pixar, you are a captain of industry. Um, And then he proceeded to, uh, in parallel, he proceeded to do Next, which was a a technical achievement and a commercial failure um, that gave him the the experience of success and failure uh, that that proved very helpful in the, in his second career as uh, as head of Apple and provided the, the technology next step mm. to to redo the foundation of uh, of the Mac. So the whole succession of events uh, in his life was uh, led. To to the success that uh, that we have uh, uh, that we have witnessed with uh, the rebirth of uh, of the Mac, uh, with next step in the in the foundation, with uh, the advent of uh, the iPod, which we often forget that in 1996 the iPod made more revenue for Apple than the Mac did at at the time. Oh, yes. The, the, you know, the iPod is, um, I think some, sometimes because of the success of the iPhone, I yep. think the iPod is slightly overlooked without the, you know, the financial success of the iPod. Yeah, I'm, but also the the iPod provided the foundation uh, for, the, for the knowledge uh, in building small objects because uh, before before the iPod Apple Apple made slightly bigger bo- bigger boxes you mm-hmm. know uh, uh laptops and and uh, and desktops but they had no knowledge of uh, of miniaturizing things so the iPod was a very good rehearsal for uh, for the iPhone and of course we we you know in uh 13 years ago this month was the birth of the iPhone at Macworld in uh, 1997 mm. and and a couple of years later three years later we had uh, we had the iPad which uh, uh, provided the, the you know the the, the last uh, big achievement in uh, in Steve's uh, career mm, indeed um and talking of slightly bigger boxes um you i believe were you know involved in the development of the newton which um i know eventually yes, yes. steve steve killed and I, I don't know you would know better than me how you know successfully it was on a commercial scale but i certainly know it was much beloved of um many people um and for its time a fabulous device but um somewhat bigger than an iphone let's put it that way yeah yeah well the the newton was um you know the newton was started in 1987 
when uh, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Steve Sackerman, who, uh, who was in charge of hardware engineering in the products division, told me he wanted to leave uh, Apple. And I said, wait a minute, we, we just have had this great success with the, with the Mac 2, with the Open Mac and the, the Mac SE. Why do you want to leave? Well, uh, you know, I, he, he didn't like the bureaucracy, which uh, I, I, could, uh, I could relate uh, to. And so then we plotted uh, for a while to leave Apple uh, together. And he had an idea. He, he had done the HP 100 uh, in the Corvallis division of HP, and which was a, a small portable, uh, you know, device. And um, one thing led to another. He had this idea of uh, of uh, a a device that would be the size of uh, what we know now uh, to be an iPad, but uh, like a a, a sheet of paper and and writing on that uh, sheet of paper with a stylus. So this was the original idea for the Newton. So one, you know, cutting short to to uh, the next uh, step, uh, we decided that Steve would stay at Apple, that we would give him autonomy with a separate building and a separate group of people to develop the page size uh, original uh, Newton. But when we both left Apple in 1990, we decided that uh, the Newton, as we had thought of it, essentially as uh, Steve Sackerman had thought of it, would be, would be a failure because handwriting recognition did not work and we had no uh, hope of uh, making it work in a conceivable uh, time frame. So uh, after we, we left Apple, uh, John Scully gave the project to, to a friend of ours called Larry Tesler, um, a computer scientist who worked at Xerox Park and came to Apple and was a, a, a great uh, user interface uh, innovator and scientist. And the Newton uh, was cut uh, in half or, or in, by two thirds to make it a pocketable uh, device as opposed to a page size device. And that, become, that became the Newton that, that uh, finally came uh, to the marketplace. And unfortunately, in spite of uh, of uh, a very interesting uh, foundation, uh, including the ARM processor, uh, whose architecture we now enjoy, basic architecture we now enjoy uh, on the Mac. So the the Newton had had some great uh, genes, uh, but still handwriting recognition could not be made to work and caused the Newton to, to be a commercial failure in spite of being a, a great engineering achievement. I, I always felt, personally, I, I never had a Newton. I couldn't afford one, but as I say, they were, um, you know, much lusted after, certainly amongst, uh, you know, the people I knew at the time. Um, I always thought the Newton was slightly ahead of its time. It was the ideas 
behind it and its and its concept. Um, well, let's face it, we're kind of reborn in the you know the the iPad and the iPhone, and um, you know carried forward by Palm, who we will talk about sure. later. But um, sure. It always struck me as an, a great idea, but it needed the technology needed to catch up. In yep. effect, which is what you know what often happens, isn't it? You, sometimes a product will come and fail and go away, and then some someone will um, come back later and revisit it and say, "No, this was a really great idea, but I don't think the technology was ready." And so, um, you know, they take yep. that idea and take it to the next step, as it were, and um, yep. it goes on to. I mean, let's face it. The, the cube, you know, the the cube was um, a brilliant piece of engineering in in the same way, but you know, it was too expensive and it was underpowered, really, and overpriced, and it failed. Yeah, um, yeah that's too bad. I, I loved I loved the cube. Yeah, and yet I I see the the Mac Mini really as the kind of uh, you know the love child of the cube because yep. the Mac Mini was what Steve wanted the cube to be, I, I always yeah. felt. You know, he took the same idea and the technology had moved on and then he could squeeze it all into that little tiny box. Yeah. And um, although yeah. the, the, the original Mac Mini had a power brick that was nearly as big as the computer, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. always thought, that, that ruins it, that ruins it. But of course, it, it didn't take them long to... Uh, put the power supply on board and then it became the mac mini we know today really um so we'll move on a bit um after you left apple john louis uh, yeah. of course you're probably most famous for um starting bos um yeah again yeah. um bos uh something that some of our listeners would not be familiar with um so i, I thought you might tell us a bit about the concept and um you know the the hardware that went with BOS and the whole um, you know what was BOS about and uh, sure where did you sure. hope it was going to go? Yeah, well we um, we we made we made a combination of good and uh, and uh, bad decisions. the The concept was to make a very inexpensive, uh, very agile multimedia machine and. Um, because we we knew the Mac's uh, handicap, the Mac had a uh, very uh, uh, you know clunky uh, lower level of uh, of software. Yeah, there, there there was there was not a real multitasking operating system inside inside no, the Mac. I know it had no preemptive multitasking, no protective yeah. memory. Hence, yeah. Yeah, back in the day when you used to get the little bomb icon four times a day. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Something horrible, something horrible has gone wrong. You need to restart your Macintosh. Which, you know. Yeah. So, so we 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 had knowledge, experience on uh, on building uh, personal computers, uh, hardware, and software. And Steve Sackerman, my co-founder. And uh, uh, we should uh, acknowledge he also came up with the idea of calling the company B B E, uh, which I thought was was very uh, very uh, short, clever, and resonant. Anyway, so the idea was to take two of the processors uh, made by AT and T Electronics called Hobbits that uh, were inside the original Newton before 
Larry Tesler and John Scully uh, uh, cut, cut it down in size and use a different uh, ARM uh, processor in there. Now, so, if, if I might just interrupt you slightly there, John Louis, can you tell yep. me anything more about the Hobbit? Because I've, in my reading about that kind of period, the the name you know Hobbit as the processor crops up an <laughs> awful yeah. lot. Um, yeah. And yet I'm not particularly familiar with it. Um, I, I, sure. As I say, I know it's turned up. It, certainly in the period, it seemed to be a popular choice, and yet it never seems to have come to any great prominence. So um, can you yeah, tell that, me that, a little that, bit about that? Sure. Uh, that was a very nice uh, RISC processor that uh, was designed and manufactured by AT&T Microelectronics. When AT&T was the big company that invented the Unix made uh, uh, unblock, unblocking uh, uh, telephone exchanges called uh, System 7, uh, invented the C language. There was Bell Labs uh, uh, that uh, listened to the uh, noise of uh, the beginnings of the universe. Um, Nobel Prizes were were working, uh, you know, there. So it was a very prestigious uh, uh, company, and their microelectronics division had designed this very nice RISC processor, which uh, didn't take much uh, power, was uh, fairly simple to to program, and we were we were in heaven. And the original B machine design was two Hobbit processors to to give it more power. And three DSPs, DSPs standing for digital signal processor. These were specialized uh, CPUs, you know, like you you had uh, you have now GPUs in some hmm. in some uh, machines. Uh, one uh, DSP was uh, going to handle sound and music. One was going to handle uh, video. And the third one was going to handle networking, uh, including um, modem, because this was the connection at the time okay. uh, with uh, with the the external world. And and very quickly the machine came up. And um, original investors had I remember people having tears in their eye when they saw what a small, inexpensive machine could do. Uh, playing uh, music, connecting to the outside world, and and, and moving graphics and on the on on the screen. <clears throat> but to cut uh, the, the to an interesting, uh, sad point of uh, of the story, we came to realize after uh, about uh, three years working on the project and and making some serious advances that uh, AT&T Microelectronics was not going to continue development of the Hobbit. So in other words, we we made a terrible mistake uh, choosing a dead microprocessor, which uh, almost killed the, the product. Actually, friends of mine who were um, prestigious entrepreneurs um, advised me. I said, "Look, you know, uh, why don't you why don't you just uh, shut down the company and and, and uh, nobody will criticize you. It's not your fault. Uh, it's AT and T uh, abandoning uh, you 
but uh, that that should be the end of the story and you should uh, you should do uh, something else but um of course you didn't did you Just... no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> you did not like, no no you know, i i, I like didn't some... because i could i i i saw the i saw the uh, the opportunity and um, steve sackerman the co-founder was discouraged and left uh, the company for uh, for for a while, uh, uh, he is a, a extremely well regarded uh, engineer. So he he found uh, he found uh, you know employment opportunities uh, you know elsewhere, including at places uh, such as uh, uh, Silicon Graphics. And um, we used the, the PowerPC six hundred three. Uh, an engineer called. Uh, Joseph Joe Palmer um, redesigned a, uh, a system around a dual 603 uh, uh, processor uh, CPU arrangement, and uh, this uh, this became the B box that we introduced to to great acclaim in 1995. And um, the the 603, of course, was the same power PC that Apple used for yeah. uh, quite a number of their um, Apple yeah. Macintoshes. Yeah. So yeah. We, we felt we felt we were on safer uh, ground with uh, that and the six six oh three proved uh, to be uh, to be a good decision. Uh, and uh, uh, the the machine that uh, Joe Palmer uh, designed with the software that the uh, engineering team put together was introduced to really great acclaim in 1995 at a industry conference called Agenda, where we got a standing ovation because people couldn't believe a personal computer could do so much multimedia activity uh, at at the time because uh, the the other choices, as you know, were uh windows and uh, and uh, the the mac os as 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 it were as it was at uh, at the time and later you know i was uh, commenting that we we behave like an eskimo tribe when an ice flow becomes too 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 small to support the tribe the tribe move jumps to the next ice flow so we move from the hobbit to, to the uh, power pc uh, and later we moved to uh, to Intel uh, hardware uh, uh, as well. And but moving to the 603 gave us the opportunity to port our software on on Macs of the time. And uh, the comparison was uh, striking because uh, with the same hardware you could do more using BOS software. Yeah, I remember um, that uh, I think it was probably Mac user in the UK at one point um, shipped a disk with BOS on it that you could um, use to, you know, in either, uh, I can't remember if you could boot it from the, from the CD or if you had to, you know, make a, a dual boot. But I remember at the time, you know, there were lots of um, people talking very much about how uh you know BOS was uh you know a marvel and uh because 
yes, it was, you know, proper multi-threaded and protected memory and, mm. and um, could, could do yeah. all those things. And I remember a bit like the um, the Amiga with the original Amiga where they introduced sure. the thing. Um, you, you know, it had a, a demo where there was a, I think there was an animated graph and, a, and some video playing and a music player and whatnot all going on at the same time, something which the Mac could basically not do. And um, so, yeah, I, I know that the BOS was a technical marvel. Yeah. And of course, um, as, as you say, at the time, Apple were you know, struggling to... Yes, um, yes. Uh, I, I think it was, was it Copeland, I believe, was there? Was there kind of um, putative next gen OS which they were, you know, struggling with, and yeah, um, yeah. and the, the Mac OS itself was desperately falling behind, yeah, um, because it was built on a fairly crude underpinning, and yeah. um, so then of course we come to the period where um, I believe it's Gil Emilio at the time uh, started suggesting that you know Apple should look outside for a, for a new OS and. Um, BOS was very much in the frame at that period to yeah, be yeah. acquired, you know, either, I don't know whether it would be acquired wholesale or, or whether they, you know, licensing the, the BOS to become a, a new Mac OS, um, which must have been very exciting. Um, yeah. But of course, then um, Next also came into the frame and um, for a long time, well, it seemed like a long time for those of us who were waiting to see what the outcome was. There was, um, you know, and I think Mac users like me were waiting with bated breath to see what the outcome would be because um, both Next Step, uh, you know, from Steve and, and BOS were both um, blatantly, you know, far more advanced and technically superior OSs than what Apple were trying to put together. But um, I'm longing to ask you when... When you realised that, um, you know, Gil was talking to both you and Next, was that kind of, you know, was that a kind of stomach-flipping, heart-stopping moment when you thought, oh, my God, we're going up against Steve and Next Step? Or did you still have fairly high hopes that you could, um, you know, take the crown, as it were? Well, the, 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 I was conflicted, as we say in American English. Uh, <laughs> uh it you know i i had tasted the life of an independent entrepreneur sometimes famished uh because we uh there were times where we show we saw i saw the bottom of the cash register and mm. uh, and as a true entrepreneur at one time i had to to uh, to uh, use a mortgage on our house to to keep the company uh, the company alive. That was for a brief period of time. Let's not exaggerate. That uh, the intro the 1995 introduction of the B box caused investors to come to us, and we we uh, we didn't have to 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 beg uh, anymore. Um, but yes, I, I I liked the independent life. I'm uh, I'm. Uh, I was I was not looking forward to uh, becoming a corporate executive uh, again. But also, I I like the idea of uh, of the BOS finding a, a an outlet for for the talent of our of our engineers. Um, so then, when the when the decision came down to use uh, to to buy uh, next, I was I was disappointed. Uh, uh, of course, but I also understood that uh, 
Guilamilio made a dual decision, so to speak, one uh, to acquire technology, that is the uh, next step, and, and to acquire talent, uh, which was uh, Steve Jobs. Unbeknownst to Guilamilio, Steve had no, no taste for working for Gil. <laughs> and, and, and as, as, as we saw, uh, he agitated with the board of directors of, uh, of Apple, some of whom he, he knew from, uh, from way back. And Guillermo was uh, promptly shown the door and Steve, Steve was, uh, was reinstated as, as head of, uh, I, I, of the company. I always, I always feel that Gil Emilio, to be fair, Gets a bit of a, a um, you know, a rough ride in the the history of Apple yep. because yeah, he wasn't there very long. I mean, I think his book was called My Five Hundred Days at Apple or something like that, or Five Hundred Days on the Firing Line, something like yep. that. Um, and he wasn't there very long, and of course he was, you know, as you say, in short order, you know, ousted by Steve. Um, yeah. But in the time he was there. As a person who was following Apple, you know, very closely at the time, I'm pretty sure that some of the things that Gil Emilio did before he brought Steve back, you know, laid a considerable amount of groundwork for keeping Apple going. Um, yeah. After all, he, you know, I don't think he did himself any any good with his rambling, you know, no notes, three hour keynote, which made him a bit of a laughing stock. Um, but actually, I'm pretty sure he knew what he was doing. Um, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he he, you know, as an example, he stabilized Apple's finance finances, and he brought a wizard by the name of Fred Anderson, hmm. who became the CFO the chief financial officer of Apple that Steve kept and leaned on for, for several years because Fred Anderson was, was clearly uh, a top, 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 top uh, financial uh, executive. I've known him uh, at the board of uh, 3Com. So we, we had many conversations uh, at board meetings after uh, Steve uh, came in and what it was like to work for Steve. So we exchanged a lot of uh, anecdotes about, uh, about uh, Fred Anderson working for Steve. But these anecdotes, uh, you know, showed extremely high respect between the two, uh, the two men. And the credit for this should go to Guillamillo. Yes, definitely. You know, as I say, as a as a person who followed quite closely, um, I you know, I I always think Guillamillo gets a slightly rough de deal in the in the story. He is a more important CEO than I think he's given yeah. credit for. Possibly because he was not necessarily the most charismatic CEO, and so you know, being ousted by Steve, the sort of you know, returning yeah, but he Messiah, brought... you know, he was eclipsed by PR, really. Sure, sure. No, he, he didn't stand a chance against uh, Steve, but he did to, to uh, again, uh, to summarize, he did, he did uh, two uh, great hires for, for Apple, one Fred Anderson to Steve Jobs, and he should be remembered for that. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. So, um, 
the BOS, um, obviously after that, you know, um, the kind of the big chance, I guess, the BOS was snatched away by Steve and yep. his next step. Um, although, for anybody who's interested, um, the BOS lives on to some extent. Um, there is a uh, there's a project called Haiku, um, yep. which you can find at haiku-os.org, uh, yep. which is a faithful recreation of BOS and is uh, yep. kind of uh, yep. dedicated right. to keeping it alive and, uh, you know, keeping it moving forward. It's not the fastest yep. moving project in the world, but if anybody's <laughs> interested, if no, it's not, but if anybody's interested in, um, you know, finding out what BOS was like and what it was about, uh, you know, go have a look at Haiku. And um, yeah. I guess that must make you fairly proud, John Louis, that, you know, some people were prepared to keep the, the B concept alive. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was a reflection on uh, the quality of the work that the B engineers uh, did, uh, which was a very small team that because of its size was uh, forced to concentrate on on the essentials and to and to write uh, a small size software which made it extremely agile agile and uh, yeah no i i think uh, i sometimes speak to to uh, old b uh, folks and uh, and we are we are quite uh, were quite pleased with uh, the way our work uh, was uh, was received. Yeah, that, um, obviously, and um, eventually, of course, uh, BOS or B was was um, what well, I don't know how to do. Were you taken over, bought up, merged with? You know, um, but you ended up as part of Palm. Is yeah, we 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 sold. Uh, you know when the when uh, the uh, internet bubble collapsed our our opportunities uh, shrank uh, drastically so we we did what we had to do which was to to find a home for for our work and that was uh, that was palm uh, palm as as you recall was once owned by 3com and uh, 3Com sp spun it off as an independent, uh, uh, independent company in a memorable uh, IPO. And uh, Palm acquired uh, uh, B because they needed more modern software for their for their PDAs. Unfortunately, um, the 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 cultural mismatch between uh, the existing. Uh, Palm uh, team and uh, and the B engineers uh, made that acquisition go uh, nowhere. A lot of the B people, because they were highly respected in the in the industry for the demonstrated quality of uh, their work, found homes, including at Apple. Uh, at, uh, for, for example, uh, Steve Sackerman uh, found. Uh, work at Apple where he was in a clandestine uh, project working on the Mac port to Intel that uh, that was revealed to the world to the world a few years later in 2005 and uh, others went to work at uh, 
at uh, Nokia, uh, for example, and uh, and Google. Uh, uh, so the the team the team and the product were were this. That was the end of uh, BOS as as we we know it. So the team scattered to the winds, as it were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, talking about the Palm, which was, you know, um, very successful. The Palm Pilot, of course, being, you know, the classic um, Palm product. When you were there, did you did you feel in any way that maybe the, the Palm Pilot was kind of the, the heir of the Newton? Or, I mean, it, it always struck me as being, you know, a, a, a same kind of idea, but, you know, with later tech. Well, the, the, uh, you know, at the time, and and, uh, and that later uh, got me to um, engineer the sale of the software half of a Palm called Palm Source, uh, because that's that's that is what happened. The uh, Palm decided that they needed to license their operating system to other makers to make it a worldwide platform. Uh, that was a an understandable uh, move, and um, so the company was split in two: um, one called Palm and the other one called uh, uh, Palm Source. And I later became the the chairman of uh, of Palm Source, but. What what appeared to me at the time, and of course it seems like I'm sort of rewriting history, uh, but it it was pretty clear that both Palm, BlackBerry, and Windows CE had fairly primitive software foundations. No multitasking, uh, preemptive multitasking. There was a, there was a sort of uh, these were uh lovely hacks in some cases uh, you know things that work pretty well provided services that people appreciated but it, it was very hard to make them acquire additional multimedia capabilities uh for example and this is what made the nest so to speak for uh iOS for for the iPhone but at the time uh, we we didn't know about the iPhone, um, and uh, we at Palm Source we became a little uh, a little desperate to, to see that uh, there was no future. So we found a way to uh, to get into a three way auction between Palm wanting to reacquire Palm Source. It sound it sounds like a, like a bad. Uh, you know, novel, but uh, it was after spinning off Palm Source. Palm wanted to reacquire the, pla- the, the, the platform to have better control of its destiny. Uh, Motorola, uh, then uh, headed by an ex uh, data general and son executive called Ed Zander, a remarkable individual. And the third player in the three-way auction was a company called Aspect um, Technology, a Japanese uh, software company. And uh, we finally sold uh, to, uh, to Aspect. Uh, Aspect offered the highest price. And uh, we, uh, we decided, uh, which was uh, about two and a half uh, times what... Um, the share price of Palm Source was so. So it was a good. Yeah, it was a, good a good, deal. 
<laughs> it was a good it was a good deal for uh well the, this was in part uh to the to great part to the credit of uh, the investment bankers who who ran the uh, who ran the auction and so uh, aspect uh, technologies bought uh, palm source and uh, the palm, palm os and uh, a couple of years later the, the whole thing went poof yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing happened. You know, that is, uh, you know, that's life at the top of the tech industry. I think. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, by then, what were we talking? We, well, by then, we'd be looking at what about two thousand and seven. I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I, I think uh, as you said, you, you could see that BlackBerry and Palm and whatnot were, you know, built on a fairly, you know, shaky foundation. Although they you know appeared very clever at the time i guess the um you know the appearance of the iphone almost yeah. you know sounded the, because pdas were were a thing a bit like netbooks they were a thing for a while and then you know the yeah. iphone came along and said well why are you messing about with a phone and a pda and a yeah. ipod you know, but still still momentum momentum keep kept carrying uh, existing players such yes. as uh, well, blackberry and nokia in the Christmas, in the last part, uh, the last quarter of uh, 2009, that is uh, two years plus after the introduction of the iPhone, Nokia sold 100 million in one quarter, 100 million phones, smartphones, yeah. 100 million. But of course, their, their days were number two. Yeah. Why not? You know? Uh, and I, you know, I'm sure we all remember people like, um, you know, Palm, um, and well, not necessarily Palm, but I, I remember, you know, obviously, uh, famously, uh, Steve Ballmer mocking the iPhone, uh, oh, Nokia, yes, yes. you know, Nokia saying something like, uh, you know, us phone guys have spent years on this, these computer guys are not just going to walk in and take over. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, how wrong were they? Um, there we go. There we are. Um. So we've been going for a, a, about an hour now. Uh, yeah, so, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be running, sure, you know, uh, yeah. out of time. That's fine. So I thought what we'll do then is uh, we'll we'll wrap up. There's just a couple of um, couple of things I thought I'd ask you about before you go. Sure, um, sure. Um, obviously, you wrote a piece for the Monday Note uh, a few I don't know, a week or so ago, I guess, after the launch of the M1. Um, what do you, you know, what do you think of the M1 and its possible ramifications for the industry going forward? Yes, I think, I think uh, uh, it is, the M1 is shaking the foundation of uh, the PC industry. The, that foundation not being Windows, but being uh, Intel. Mm. Uh, Intel had a, had a great uh, run. Uh, they, uh, they, they made one terrible mistake, which was to not, uh, do the original iPhone processor that Steve, uh, proposed them to, to do. And, uh, but, you know, so they missed the smartphone, the iPhone, uh, uh revolution. But they, they kept going in the PC in the PC business and the server business because uh, the uh, the internet the cloud uh, revolution provided opportunities for Intel 
to sell myriads of uh, uh, high-end, expensive um, uh, x86 uh, devices uh, on top of um, <clears throat> uh, PC uh, uh, CPUs. But now the M1 comes on the scene and shows without a doubt that you can get better battery life, more performance, and less power dissipation. You know, you, yeah. you'll, you'll have, uh, it's, it's almost ideal, you know, I, for uh, our household, uh, I, I bought two M1 machines, one, one for my spouse who is a real estate uh, designer and developer. She, she makes houses from A to Z, from the design to everything. Um, it's her, her entire creation. And she runs the process on, uh, on a Mac. Uh, she doesn't do the architectural design. She commissions to, to, to architects, uh, of course. Um, but the, the long and the short of it is that the machines are way better. They're cooler. The battery life is as Apple described. And, uh, and the performance is exactly as Apple described. Uh, you know, you, we are used to hype in marketing. Yes, but the, the but the M1 promise has, is is entirely uh, you know fulfilled. So this puts uh, Microsoft in a in a situation when they cannot be left behind behind by the better processor uh, revolution brought on by the ARM architecture. So they are now. It is said developing processors for their servers, for their cloud servers, uh, and uh, and for their Surface uh, desktops. And they are a little uh, they are a little behind in in that, but but they'll get there. So they will have uh, machines that that run faster, uh, cooler, uh, with a better better battery life, uh, running a uh, an ARM. Uh, uh, version of Windows, which which will leave the PC OEMs, the other PC OEMs, um, no no alternatives but to convert to the ARM hardware architecture and to the Windows on ARM uh, situation. So that where does that leave Intel? Not, not in a, not in not in a good uh, not in a good position. So so the, which is why I said that the M1. Is the first uh, most visible act of something that has been in the works for a long time since uh, since Apple started designing its uh, its processors after buying a Palo Alto semiconductor uh, in two thousand eight, if my memory uh, serves. And uh, so we we are <clears throat> we are going to see some interesting developments because. You will have a great deal of confusion in the marketplace in a year or two, where you will see side by side uh, uh, PC OEMs such as Dell and HP, um, and Asus and Lenovo and, and others uh, struggling with a move to ARM while having to still sell old versions uh, of uh, Intel based uh, devices. And the same will that is happening on the on the cloud. Uh, we know that uh, uh, Amazon is uh, 
is has converted to uh, to arm devices they have their own processors called graviton there are other companies making uh, cloud oriented uh, arm arm architecture processors such as uh, ampere like the m in uh, current me- measurement uh, and and so this is uh, this is big this is big and uh, uh, you know once in a while you see uh, you see a a real revolution and uh, this is one indeed it is i i believe so and who would have thought that little um you know that little british computer company acorn yeah. <laughs> would uh, acorn, you know... acorn risk machines yes indeed acorn risk machines with the bbc micro and the archimedes yeah. you yeah. know yeah. long forgotten well, they're yeah. very popular amongst people of my age. You know, they're remembered fondly. Who would have thought their, you know, their ghost would rise phoenix-like to take over the world? But, but we you know, go. we should we should know that uh, uh, UK has been a place where a lot of uh, computing uh, innovation uh, has happened. Uh, uh, you know the the, the old Ferranti uh, machines, uh, uh, the, all the work uh, done by the GCHQ uh, to uh, to uh, uh, pierce uh, crypt, uh, German cryptography, all 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 that made uh, all that made the UK or Britain, if you, if you prefer, uh, a, a place where a lot of computing innovation. Uh, has happened and uh, and uh, the the very extremely important arm uh, revolution uh, had a good uh, uh, ground on which to grow that is true that is true um i'm going to ask you one more question jean louis and then i'm yep. going to let you go because i know you know sure. you're probably a very busy man um there's a lot of talk at the moment about apple's possible ar glasses um it's something that fascinates me um i in fact um although these are not considered smart glasses i've got a story in the note uh which is from the sun which is not exactly a highly respected newspaper of uh, (laughs) tech news however they they have a report today um about um some adjustable glasses of the future now these are simply glasses where they're saying that the um you know the lenses can be adjusted with like a telescope almost by turning a dial on the on the frames um but that you know uh, that's not a smart glass in and of itself but it's this sort of technology that you can imagine being incorporated what do you think is the likelihood that apple are actually working on some ar enhanced eyewear well uh, yes uh, so two things a a uh... As a preamble, uh, let's remember that Apple does not ship uh, beta versions of things. They don't ship prototypes. They try to, to ship a, a fully functioning uh, product. People might argue that the original iPhone, well, was not uh, was not quite finished. It did, the original software didn't have cut and paste, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they, they tend to ship uh, something that, uh, that uh, looks like a finished product. So regarding uh, magical glasses, as as I call them, I have I have a key question, which or two key questions. One is what is the use case? You know what? Yeah. What you know What's for that? a smartphone? 
the smartphones existed when the iPhone came came uh, came out, and the use case only grew in in uh, permutations, richness, complexity. But the use case was there. I where what is the use case of uh, of smart glasses? I uh, you know I I don't know. Uh, uh, you know it's it's but you know uh apple has uh, almost infinite money and time yeah. to, to... all the time oh, yeah, i was gonna say all the money in the world practically to um, yeah yeah um, and, and so if, if, they, if they need if they need um, more years of uh, of uh, development work well uh, good good for them and good for us um the, the second thing is you know, a lot of people, and actually a growing number of people, wear prescription glasses. There is a study that's showing that the the world, the entire world, is becoming more myopic. As as seriously, uh, yes. <laughs> as uh, well, yes, as uh, <clears throat> as years go by. Um, I say that because I have my my, my own my own uh, trouble with uh, with the vision, including. Yeah macular degeneration on, on on the left eye and so i spoke at some length with the buyer's eye institute in uh, in palo alto where they they they, they, treat, they they try to treat me uh, and that's where i learned that uh, we, myopia was a growing uh, thing even in the developing world because of screens because of because of you know we, we lead a different uh, different life so how would smart glasses adopt the uh, the complexity of uh, vision uh, prescription glasses where you have these complex shapes on the lens that provides when you raise your eye you see in the distance when you lower your gaze you look at uh, you look at your screen and keyboard so the, the, these are these are very complicated uh shapes Indeed. and how and how would how would apple deal with that um still is a mystery to me uh so that's that's uh, I'd, I'd love to <clears throat> i'd love to to have my vision augmented by my uh, good friends at apple but i don't see i don't see what they can do for me well yeah um i think we're we're all i guess i'm intrigued by by the yeah, concept. Yeah, we yeah, talk, no. we've talked about um you know apple ar enhanced glasses on this podcast and so you know no doubt of many others at, at great length and um the thing is apple have often produced things and people go i, I don't see the point and yet a few years later they've convinced us all that we absolutely have to have one i mean yep. you know the initial apple watch a lot of people well i don't wear a watch and what's the point why do i need a why do i yep. need a smart watch and what will it do for me and yet yep. now you know it's a it's a booming uh a booming product so well they are the apple is apple is by revenue apple is the biggest watch maker in the world yeah exactly you know um so who knows and uh you know as we all know apple have some incredibly you know talented and brilliant people working away in their yeah in their labs so no nobody really knows but that's just uh yeah i was just interested to get your take on that i mean the other sure. one of course is the apple car but um I'll I'll write about it in a future yeah. in a future Monday note. Indeed. Uh, I uh, yeah I 
I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, yeah. The, the, no, nothing, nothing in the immediate future. That's for no, sure. I, I don't think so either. And uh, my argument, much as I think Apple could produce a, a you know, a brilliant um, car, um, my biggest feeling on that is Apple is a company who likes margins. And as I understand <laughs> it, the automotive, the automotive industry is not an industry with a lot of margins. You know, that, that is, that, incredibly that is complex product to yeah, put together, yeah. and it's difficult to, you know, what they're going to bring. You know, are their cars going to be a hundred grand, hundred thousand dollars? Mind you, they still sell. You know, people buy Ferraris and ludicrously expensive Teslas, so I'm sure they yeah. can sell some. But um, that's not the way to make a lot of money, is it? Really? No. They, they All right. So there we go. Thank you so much, Jean-Louis. My, my pleasure. On. Thanks thanks, thanks for hosting me. Uh, always a pleasure. It's been absolutely fabulous. And uh, if you just would like to tell the listeners anywhere that they could find your work. Um, and well, we'll... They, they go on Google uh, or actually other search engines. And they, yeah. type, they type two words or one word. Uh, bo both were work Monday note. Uh, <clears throat> it's a weekly. Uh, actually, it's it's going to be less weekly uh, moving forward because I I I have to <clears throat> I have to write a book um, and I have to find the time and and psychic energy to uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, to do that. Uh, the the latter being the the more important. But yes, <clears throat> I've been writing a Monday note for more than thirty thirteen. 13 years and um, uh, they can find uh, in particular if they if they google for it there are a suite of uh, notes called 50 years in tech uh, 50 years in tech where uh, i think there is 18 different monday notes that deal with uh, with anecdotes uh, some uh, some amusing some a little humbling um, as as it should uh, of, of my years in this wonderful uh, world so thanks thank you thank you very much oh and of course people can follow you on twitter uh, where you are at yeah. gasse yeah yeah i'm easy to find yeah, thank you thank you so thank much jean louis and uh it's been an absolute pleasure same here thank you goodbye goodbye and you can, of course, find me on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, you can find the show as at Essential Apple. Um, all of our stuff is on EssentialApple.com. Uh, this is where I say thank you to Jean-Louis Gasset for appearing on our show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everybody who supports the show. And uh, I will now... Uh, leave you with John Nemo uh, and his hardware store and uh, we'll be back next time so until then goodbye and take it away John Nemo's hardware store is back happy new year everybody what a year it's starting out to be already who could have predicted this well fortunately there's some good tech happening that's really going to help you very much the first item cost $18 in the U.S. It's called the Spigen Power Arc. S-P-I-G-E-N. Spigen or Spigen Power Arc. Arc Station Pro. Plug charger. About an inch more or less on all sides. With USB-C 20 watt output. 
This is a new type of GAN charging technology. We will have the link to it. You can read all about the type of charging that you get with a GAN charger. You can charge your phone, your iPad. If it's native USB-C, then you can get a USB-C to USB-C cable, also from Spigen or Spigen on the same page. And if it uses lightning, you can get a USB-C to lightning. But this changes everything because it's cooler, it's smaller, and it's faster. So basically, you're charging all your portable Apple gear using this tiny little charger that fits in your pocket. And if you're in the UK or in Europe or elsewhere, we will try to find out when the company is coming out with a plug configuration for your country. But for those of you who can access the North American type two-prong plug, the Spigen Power Arc ArcStation Pro for $18 will charge your phones and your pads fast, cool, using the new technology, beginning with USB-C, and then you can have it charge lightning using the cable also that's available on their website. So check this out. The product number is ACH02022. That's what it says on the box. It comes in white. And I think you're going to enjoy being able to charge using the new GAN technology. Also using new technology is something called AirPop Active. A-I-R-P-O-P. AirPop Active. It's a mask to keep you healthy and safe during this COVID time or any time. It's very, very different. It's a much more substantial outer shell of the mask with the earpieces that are adjustable, the loops. Then on the inside, you have a removable filter that can be used 40 or 50 hours, and you get several of these filters in the package. When you buy it, it's $56 in the U.S. So I'm going to put this mask on, so bear with me. Okay, I put the filter in earlier. I find the way the nose piece goes, put it on my face. And now, as you can hear, I don't sound too bad. I don't sound as muffled as I do with a cloth mask. I'm able to breathe, and I'm filtered quite a bit. So they call it active, but in fact, I think you'd be better off using this when you're going into a store or somewhere where you're out and about with other people because they have these rubber, what do they call them? Flex seals, the Ergo Flex seals on the inside. And again, read about this on their website from AirPop, Active Mask. It's not medical, but for general use, it will get rid of 99% of the droplets and particles and has a 360-degree airlock seal that can be fit for different size faces. It's hard to describe. Comes with a nice little carrying sack, the extra inserts, and a nice description manual how to use it. Okay, let's take the mask off again. So you see, it's not that different. I sound pretty darn good. I'm outside. It's a little bit warm here, believe it or not. So it's not to be used in a specially sweaty environment. So just try it. Read the reviews. See what people say about the AirPop Active Mask. A two-piece combo unit with the outer shell, which is a beautiful black and green, and then the inner white part, which has the seal and the filter in it. So that's it for Nemo's Hardware Store. We'll try to be back as often as we can, depending on when the shipments arrive at the loading dock. Thanks to Simon and the crew for running a great podcast week after week, and we sure enjoy the great guests that you have on the show. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say, if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even, if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. 
This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hello and good evening. This is Gaz for the MyMac Podcast. And we know you have your pick of high-quality downloadable audio content, and we appreciate that you choose ours. Quite right, old bean. This is Guy, and we're here to say that the MyMac Podcast is the right choice to make. Intelligent, cultured, and downloaded by only the finest and most educated people. Indeed. In fact... We restrict our delightful missives to only those best suited... Guy, I can't go on with this. Who are we kidding? The MyMac podcast is probably one of the most accessible shows there is. Gaz, we're trying to up our reputation here. Oh, shut it. Listen, folks, tired of tech podcasts that talk over your head and go on too long, taking themselves so seriously, you'd think they were the ones making the product? then you should listen to the MyMac.com podcast. At least three good chuckles per segment. If my math is right, that's about ten laughs per show. Right. Because three times three is ten. Sometimes I really wonder about you, Guy. No need to wonder where to find the podcast. Just go to iTunes and search for MyMac. Subscribe and jump into the fun. You know, we're part of the Stoplight Network, and there are a lot of important people there. Well, we did say we hardly know anyone important. Though there was that time I was less than 30 feet away from the Waz, and I could have sworn we made eye contact. Most likely, he was having stomach cramps. That would explain why he was doubled over at the time. The MyMac.com podcast. Enjoy it over a copper. Until then, goodbye.